A storm is coming, but few have heard the forecast. The obesity epidemic in the United States in all age groups will lead to a huge increase in diabetes during pregnancy. You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Northwestern University. This is Diabetes Month here at the station. Our guest today is Dr. Thomas Moore, professor and chairman of the Department of Reproductive Medicine, University of California School of Medicine at San Diego. He is a nationally recognized expert on the diagnosis and treatment of diabetes in pregnancy. Welcome, Dr. Moore. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Good to be here. Why do women with otherwise normal glucose tolerance develop problems with carbohydrate metabolism during pregnancy? Well, the pregnancy hormones impose additional insulin resistance on top of whatever insulin resistance the woman may bring to pregnancy, perhaps either on the basis of her body mass index or her family history. And these pregnancy hormones continuously rise in a relatively linear fashion until approximately 36 weeks. So the insulin resistance issues during pregnancy are really quite profound. What is the pregnancy hormone that blocks the action of insulin or antagonizes insulin? Human chorionic somatomammotrophin or human placental lactogen is always quoted as the most diabetogenic protein coming from the placenta, and it's elaborated in relatively huge amounts. But in fact, the remainder of the steroid hormones that are produced by the placenta, even just estrogen and progesterone, which triple over the course of gestation, add to this insulin-resistant state. So it's multiple hormones, not just one. I call it the steroid and peptide hormones of pregnancy. Gotcha. What percentage of the population will have a problem during pregnancy? Well, it's interesting that today we would say, taking the United States as a whole, it's approximately 6 to 7%. But there are some areas where the risk of gestational diabetes is on the order of 8 or 10%. We have areas in San Diego where we approach that percentage. Maybe my memory is wrong, but I seem to remember a more common statistic was on the order of 1 or 2%. Of course, that was from 20 or 25 years ago. So you're suggesting that 6 to 8% of women will have carbohydrate intolerance during pregnancy? Unfortunately, that's the forecast for today and probably just the present decade because we do think things are getting worse. The statistic you just quoted is actually still true in certain parts of Europe and actually in certain parts of Canada, but in any area where body mass index and, and obesity are on the rise, these percentages are constantly changing. And in fact, there has been well-documented increases in gestational diabetes over the traditional and really decades-old statistic of 1% to 2% in Europe, even in Scandinavia, which we thought was sort of the, the least likely to have gestational diabetes. If I understand you correctly, the rate of gestational diabetes probably over the last 30 years has increased by something like 400% in the United States. Yes, that's true in the United States. And actually, if you look throughout the globe where careful documentation of body mass index has been done, this is probably happening in almost every country that has access to what we call modern foods. I hate to ask the next question, but I feel a little obligated to. What's the forecast for the next 10 or 20 years? Because I know that all of us physicians are hearing more about the obesity epidemic, but if it's 6 to 8% now, what is it going to be in 10 or 20 years? 
The CDC, interestingly enough, has considered obesity now to be a public health issue and is really plotting this and trying to forecast it both during pregnancy and outside of pregnancy. But at the same time, there are a number of interventions taking place to try to moderate this effect. So, for example, attempts to have more clarity in the food content of both public foods and home foods, uh, attempts to change other living lifestyle issues such as, you know, the amount of exercise people get and so forth may help alleviate this. But if one goes to the CDC website and looks at the progression of obesity just in the last 20 years, it's projected to continue about on that same really rather frightening increase over, over the next two decades. What is more important for predicting diabetes risk during pregnancy, the starting body mass index or weight gain during pregnancy, or does anybody know? Actually, that's a great question, and that that has not actually been teased out satisfactorily. There's no question at present the body mass index that the patient brings to pregnancy probably has a huge effect. In fact, the risk of gestational diabetes is directly proportional to the body mass index at booking. The weight gain during pregnancy is harder to document. The data are not as reliable, so that particular contribution is not as clear. There have just been some recent investigations into the area of inter-pregnancy weight gain or failure of inter-pregnancy weight loss and its contribution to gestational diabetes in the next pregnancy, and this looks to be fairly concerning. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Thomas Moore, a nationally recognized expert on gestational diabetes. We are discussing the epidemic of diabetes during pregnancy in the United States, both the epidemic that has arisen and the epidemic that is continuing to grow. What about family history? How important a role does family history, my aunt had diabetes, what is my risk during pregnancy? Is that important? Family history is very important, and it makes me think of the commercials, pharmaceutical commercials on television that say I get some of my cholesterol from my family history and I get some of it from my diet. And I think that's very apt when it applies to gestational diabetes. Certain populations have encoded insulin resistance into their genomes, perhaps related to previous histories of population starvation and lack of food. But in any case, we know that there's some ethnic groups and cultural groups that are, if you will, family trees that are very, very insulin resistant. So, for example, if one takes the Asian Indian population, there's a very high rate of insulin resistance in this population, and therefore they're at particular risk for gestational diabetes, even though their body mass index may not be what we see in other populations. What about the ethnic groups that are more commonly seen in the United States, Hispanic, African American, and white? Do these groups have differing rates of gestational diabetes? They definitely have different rates, and um, differentiating between color and Caucasian, Amongst the Asian, Hispanic, and African-American population, the increase in insulin resistance is about threefold compared to whites. Uh, But between them, these three groups, there doesn't seem to be a measurable difference. 
Well, while we're talking about the epidemic of diabetes, let's uh, shift our focus slightly to screening. Currently, we're in a situation where after a one-hour glucose tolerance test in pregnancy is a screening test, one national lab recommends a threshold of 130 milligrams per deciliter, while another lab recommends 140 milligrams per deciliter. So clinicians across the country are in this bizarre circumstance where <laughs> they might actually have to tell patients different things. And then, of course, if you could adopt a policy, well, you're either going to pick 130 or 140. But if you do that and the labs are saying different things, then if the patient wants a copy of her test result. In one case, you'll tell her it was abnormal when the lab says it was normal, so on and so forth. So what seems to be the consensus about these cutoffs, 130 or 140? Well, you've raised a really good point. Cognoscenti caught them in controversy, and, and I think clarity needs to come forth. Unfortunately, I don't think there will be clarity for probably another five years. The controversy surround, you know, using which cutoff for the 50-gram glucola test, 140 has been the standard now for, I think, over a decade. If you performed a three-hour glucose tolerance test on every person, instead of just the screening test, the 140 cutoff will only detect 80% of the individuals who, in fact, by the definitive test, the three-hour glucose tolerance test, have gestational diabetes. Now, the advantage of that is that the number of quote-unquote abnormal tests is only around 5 to 10%, depending on the population screened. Whereas if you drop the threshold to 130, then your correctness goes up to 90 to 94%. But unfortunately, it doubles the number of three-hour tests uh, required. Some of it is an economic consideration of just all these three-hour glucose tolerance tests that it would be performed. And some of it, I think, the wavering about which it should be until very recently was concerned that we're entirely sure that treatment of gestational diabetes during pregnancy made a difference. I think now uh, we have some more recent data that makes it clear that treatment definitely makes a difference, and so that leaving a person undiagnosed, if you will, of gestational diabetes exposes that woman and her baby to risk that could otherwise be ameliorated by therapy. So the argument about the threshold of 130 to 140 is really a sensitivity and specificity argument. A lower threshold is obviously more sensitive, but less specific. Absolutely. So the, the usual argument that's advanced by American College of OBGYN is that either threshold is appropriate, but a lower threshold should be chosen in populations at high prevalence. So if you're expecting, you know, where I practice here in San Diego with a huge Hispanic population, we use 130 because the prevalence is so high. So I gather that once they have an abnormal one-hour test, the next test to do is the three-hour test, which is the diagnostic test. Is that correct? That's correct. What are the fasting and three-hour cutoffs for the three-hour screen that are used nowadays? Well, this is actually an important point to make because the original values that were produced back in the, uh, really back 30 years ago, came from the use of, of whole blood. And these, even though we switched over to measuring glucoses in the plasma probably 15 years ago, it took a long time before the uh, cutoffs were changed. So it is important that the old O'Sullivan and Mahan 
values be discarded and the newer values related to plasma glucose values be utilized. Now, it's, it's also important to make sure that the laboratory who's doing this test is measuring plasma glucose. Most of us don't pay a whole lot of attention to that, but in fact, it's actually pretty important. I want to thank Dr. Thomas Moore, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the coming epidemic of diabetes during pregnancy in the United States. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We would really like to hear from you. For comments and questions about this program or suggestions for other shows, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Also, please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening.